service, compassion, mercy. Those are the words we live by. That is our code. And it's the most important thing in the world. I'm Chris Bivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today we talk about Jupiter's Legacy, first and final season on Genreless. Hey everybody! We we're here in the we're, we on our sheet. We have it labeled the misfits for which section these next shows are going to fall under, since they're not specifically Marvel, they're not Arrowverse shows, and there isn't any other big one specific network they're all on. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like how um, you kind of preempted my my joke of, "Gee, Chris, which season of Jupiter's Legacy do you want us to watch this week?" <laughs> <laughs> It is like we've been doing this for a little while now, and we can read some of each other's beats before they happen. (laughs) All right, Um, I'm going to be up front. I hate and enjoy this show all at once for a multitude of different reasons. I'm curious to dig into that because also I've had a a complicated relationship with the show. Um, Yeah. I will say so. For those who don't know, um, this show is supposed to be the launch of the the alleged Millar Millar Worlds franchise. Uh, Netflix bought uh, Mark Millar's rights for all of his comics, and this is supposed to be the launch of a huge collection of them. And it just this was canceled like within a few weeks of airing. Like Netflix is usually fairly aggressive, but they they murdered this show. This show died on the vine very quickly. I think they bought it for any, around $50 million, like all the rights to his previous work and I think future work mm-hmm. for Millar World. And it was, he's in a seven year contract with them, which yep. the show aired. It was like the highest streaming show for the entire week. And they canceled it within a month of it airing, even while it was still ch- topping the charts for ratings. Right. And it's, Weird because um, it's uh, much like I, th- I think I think the tone of this whole episode is going to be conflicted because, like you said, this, from a streaming perspective, it, it ranked very well. From a critical perspective, it we did very badly. Um, a lot of people were very down on this show. Um, some of it I think is earned. Some of it I think is not. Uh, but. This not only tanked a second season, also tanked uh, Super Super Crooks, which is going to be the next filmed show that got tanked and then eventually turned into an anime. Um, And a couple of other projects were just plain up scrapped uh, after this. So how much of it was because of financial reasons? It's rumored that uh, this thing was like something like $30 million over budget. Uh, How much of it is... uh, um, due to creative differences, because it did switch directors about halfway through, I think, the season. Um, and how much of it is due to cr- a critical feedback. It's really unclear um, what actually caused this to die in the mind. And even watching it, it's like, I can see why this might have been canceled, but I can still see why. I'm also not quite entirely sure why either. It's not terrible, but it's not amazing. Pretty much all of those thoughts. And some of the criticism is well-earned, but also some of it is because Mark Millar got into that whole Twitter war that was with all the Snyderverse people, and he threw in some comments, and I think a lot of Snyder fans were waiting for Millar to do something. 
And then they came out in force and that instantly got magnified because if you say something negative, everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. I just Coupled realized with, I was going to say, like, I, I, I don't know if we want to talk about who Mark Millar is because we throw his name around a lot and never like put context for why, why his name is relevant. <laughs> I know a little bit and I was actually transitioning into the, the, a, a snippet of that. So you could go into your more knowledgeable piece about him. I, um, to that extent, Mark Millar for love or hate Mark Millar, you can thank part of the galvanization of the superhero movement in movies and stuff to his work with the ultimates and everything else. It, but it is uber violent. It is also over the top, filled with misogyny, racism, and a lot of other things. For instance, I know one of the ideas that he put for DC was supposedly going to be the 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 um, the rape of Wonder Woman to sort of follow in the wake of the death of Superman and the um, breaking of the bat. Right. That was his idea. He presented to DC and now he's saying it was a joke, but I think they'd already had some panels potentially laid out for it. In addition to other things. Yeah. Um, Mark Millar, like sadly a lot of comic book creators is someone who is extremely influential uh, and also of his time. And both good and bad ways. Um, he actually first came to prominence uh, with the Authority. Uh, the Authority was a Wildstorm comic that got purchased by DC and became part of DC continuity. Uh, but the idea is what happens when superheroes stop trying to reinforce status quo and start trying to actually enact change, and are willing to go above the heads of governments and corporations to do so. Um, it was also a uh, the first comic to really kind of start was now known as the, well, okay. it didn't start deconstruction, but certainly it pushed it forward in, in the 21st century. Uh, Watchmen is the first deconstructionist comic. Uh, the Authority was kind of the next step in that evolution. Um, and deconstruction is basically what if you look at the tropes of superhero comics and apply them to the rigors of the real world? Uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't go look good for superheroes because it <laughs> reveals the fact that they're actually pretty strong fascist undertones. Um, so can I point out there before you really go on and, yep. and to say something positive that I like Jenny Sparks is still one of my favorite characters. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue your, your, no, your mean, actual pertinent information. Uh, we, we honestly, the authorities on my personal short list of, of things I might want to do for speechless someday. Um, because the first 12 issues, of the authority is actually fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, it also, uh, so for, Mark Ballard's flaws, uh, he pushed the envelope in positive ways. Like, for example, he very unabashedly introduced uh, queer superheroes in a way that's not a joke uh, through the authority. Um, and he just said, I'm just doing this because I want to see people I know on this page. Um, uh, but uh, he... he the, I feel like the authority kind of pigeonholed him because then he was hired to do uh, the Ultimates, which... Um, we've talked about before, but short version is it was kind of it ended up being the blueprint for the MCU in a lot of ways. Uh, but the, it's the Edgelord version, right? Right. It is the Avengers, but the Edgelord version. The, if you ever seen the panel of Captain America pointing to the A in his head, saying, "Do you think it stands for France?" It comes from that run, and that tells you pretty much everything you know about that run. You don't want to get into the fact that the Hulk that the Hulk eats the Wasp. Are that the relationship between Quicksilver and, and the, the Scarlet Witch 
is put on the page for you to see instead of implied. Yeah, it's 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 a literally incestuous relationship. Um, it's it's a whole thing. Um, so to the to the point that's of his career's relevant to us is uh, he smartly built on that success, uh, particularly after um, his run of Old Man Logan, uh, which was the inspiration for the uh, Wolverine film in 2017 called Logan. Uh, he decided to start doing creator-owned series, and that that's the Malar world we talked about. Um, from my understanding, that's also advice that he got from the man himself, <clears throat> Stan Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, he was- told him that if I could have owned the rice to all my own stuff, I would have done it hands down. You knew, you knew, you knew kids uh, should go out and do that. Exactly. And uh, prior to Netflix, he had a lot of success with converting his comics to uh, film, particularly uh, Wanted, uh, Kick-Ass, uh, and the Kingsman uh, franchise are all originally Mark Millar creator-owned comics. So Netflix said, you continually put out hits, uh, so we want to license all the rest of your comics in order to have licenses. And they started with uh, Jupiter's Legacy slash Jupiter's Child, which was the kind of prequel to it. This show blurs those together. Um, ha- originally, I thought that I'd read Jupiter's Legacy. It turns out that I read a couple issues of Jupiter's Legacy, but I'd actually read all of Jupiter's Circle, mm-hmm. which, oh, Circle, right, it, in my opinion, is a better show, is a better version of Jupiter's Legacy because it's also more historical-based superheroes in history. And having wrote about superheroes in history, uh, aka a project that may get published one day by a large company who I'll not mention. But <laughs> I, I like that version compared to the Jupiter's Legacy version that I read a couple of issues of. Yeah, like if you're familiar with Watchmen, how Watchmen kind of bounces between the Golden Age, Silver Age stuff, and then the Modern Age stuff, basically imagine that expanded out and then broken into two separate distinct comics. So uh, Jupiter's legacy is the modern day version of the, the heroes and generations coming after them. And then Jupiter's circle is, is all the backstories to how they got to that point. Um, uh, and, and I'm generally with you. The, the Jupiter's circle stuff, I think is uh, stronger because Mark has to kind of get to the point. One of Mark's uh, writing flaws, in my opinion, is that he tends to really like the sound of his own voice from writing perspective. And so people would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk on the page <laughs> with Jupiter's circle. He had to get things down to tie into the other comics. So there's a paciness that you usually don't find in Malar comics, which I liked. Uh, I will say on the other hand, Jupiter's legacy does have uh, Frank quietly art, uh, which I have missed Millar and quietly working together since the authority. I, I, that's where I actually <laughs> fell in love with uh, uh, quietly's work. So in, in short, I think that's a good recap of Millar unless there's anything else. You yeah, no, add that, in about him. That's basically it. He's also, he, he's Scottish and there's a whole category of Scottish complex creators and the, the, the way they have shaped uh, the thing, but we're not going to go into that. That's too much more comic history. Suffice to say, there's a reason why Netflix threw a whole bunch of money in it and why it's a little weird that Netflix has so noped out of it so fast. Um, <clears throat> I guess one of the reasons that one of the things we want to add in is that one of the, the impetus is likely for Netflix to have originally support this idea is a lot of the other networks are starting, we're starting their own streaming networks. Mm-hmm. And Netflix probably understood they were going to start pulling all their shows from Netflix. Right. And Netflix would need to create its own IPs to stay relevant in the conversation. Right. We talked about the Netflix Marvel stuff, and they those did really well for Netflix. Netflix wanted to do that again, but with stuff that they had more control over. 
All right. Uh, if there's nothing else about the, the business end, I guess we can transition to the show because I have slightly larger summaries just from the format of how the shows are broken down. Okay. And there's differences between the comics and the actual show itself. For instance, in the comics, I want to say they had more mental powers. For instance, it was less of a Superman archetype for the utopian, but I think he also had like telekinesis and other things. Yeah. And all of them had minor levels of super strength of varying abilities compared to the show where it goes in the other direction where he is, they have literal analogs for superheroes. And I'm going to sort of briefly touch on some of those for the primary ones in the show. Mm-hmm. We start with the utopian, of course, who's Sheldon Sampson, who is our Superman or Hyperion archetype analog. Homelander. Yeah. <laughs> we go to Lady Liberty. I would not say Homelander because Utopian has more of a Captain America centered value. So that offsets, in my opinion, the Homelander aspect. Homelander is, 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 is a poser. <laughs> no, I'll just talk about the purely from power set perspective in terms of the archetype. Uh, then we go for Lady Liberty, uh, Grace Kennedy Sampson, who is equivalently Power Woman, or more specifically for DC, Wonder Woman. Even mm-hmm. one of her powers is where she can tell if you're lying. So they right. got rid of the, the lasso, but now it's like a psychic power that she has. Uh, we go to Brainwave, Walter Sampson, who is our Martian Manhunter, Jean Grey analog. Mm-hmm. Then we go for Paragon, who is essentially Superboy or a young Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chloe Sampson, that's where it starts to get a little fuzzy because she has more, I think, oh, sorry, we saw a sonic scream. She has some super strength and some super speed. I would almost go for a, a Banshee-esque character, but I'm not 100% on that one. So I wanted to discuss that one with you and see what you thought. I, I was honestly struck me a bit more of uh, Banshee 2, um, which was Banshee's daughter. Uh, she mm. by Simon for a while before she became Banshee. Uh, seems like a closer power set for her. Yeah. Um, also, maybe a little bit of... Uh, um, is it Black Canary that has uh, sonic powers in DC? Yes. Okay. Well, one version. One version is real powers. Other one has a device that gives powers. Or, you're going to like this, a uh, Supergirl reference, Silver Banshee. There we go. There we go. That That's a high quality choice. Uh, then we go to the Flare, uh, Fritz Smalls and Fritz's daughter, the Flare 2. They're basically the human torch-ish. Yeah. Generic firepowers. With with a touch of, uh, here's a, a deep dive from some of my, my comic fans, with a touch of Box from Alpha Flight for their technical abilities. Ooh, wow. Nice call. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, then we go to Star Fox and Hutch. While Hutch Starfox's son doesn't have superpowers, he sort of gets an object from his father. So for, and I think their Sky Fox is basically Ted Knight Starman, who was a playboy in the past, mm-hmm. who was a scientific genius, who had this little power rod that he gives to his son, Jack, and then Jack has a rod and goes forth and so on. And Riku, I think was her name, who is Brainwave's daughter. It's essentially Psylocke. Oh yeah. It's, it's, Ninja with psychic powers. It's it's got to be Psylocke. And then there's a an array of other characters, but they are so irrelevant to the show that I am not even really going to mention them. Right um, now, what's interesting to to me is um, Riku in particular. We don't see much of her in our run, but um, she in the original comic was kind of almost uh, an ancillary character, right? She's just, she kind of just shows up on screen to be 
brainwave daughter and she has a minor subplot. That's about it. Um, in this show, she's much moved much more towards uh, Hit Girl, um, which is a, a teenage girl assassin who absolutely murders people and has no repercussions about that. That's a whole arc. It's a spinoff from Kick, Kick Ass. Uh, and it felt like Netflix trying to take some of the popular Malar World stuff and kind of put their own version into this. Uh, and when I, when I saw that, I started also seeing some other kind of smaller connections. Like I think Hutch looked like they were probably on the trajectory to become kind of the kick-ass analog. Um, it, it felt like they were trying to weirdly take Mark Millar stuff and make it look like different Mark Millar stuff they didn't have access to. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So before we get into the episode breakdowns, <clears throat> I've actually worn a very pertinent shirt that Eddie can only see snippets of because I keep moving around and have my camera end up higher. <laughs> One of the reasons I really dislike this show is the absolute and total lack of pertinent diverse diversity in this series. Hands pertinent down. Keyword. Yep. And the use of the marginalized people that they bring into the show and then what they do to them. I, I cannot stress enough how frustrating and irritating that is from the start to the end of the series. And even with the bits of Malar that I read for this, because I decided I'd, I'd re try to reread some of the issues to see that same thing in the comics beyond irritating. Right. Um, this is one of the things I touched on earlier is uh, – <clears throat> Uh, at the risk of alienating all of our Scotland listeners, all, all zero of them, as far as I know, um, Scotland is not quite as diverse as it could be. Uh, it, it is a fairly white country, uh, and when and a lot of Scottish writers, particularly comic books, tend to fall into that trap. Uh, other British writers, particularly those who come from southern uh, England, don't quite have the same problem because it is much more diverse. Uh, um, so. I wasn't surprised by it, uh, but I was surprised by Netflix because this is at a weird tipping point on the, the, the Netflix arc. Um, shortly after this, uh, uh, they start to make a stronger commitment to being more intentionally and, and usefully diverse. Uh, Bridgerton comes right around this point and it's much better about this. And then going forward, they make stronger efforts to try to be more inclusive. Um, so this I'm is not going to give Netflix credit for Bridgerton. That was Shonda Rhimes. It's not even the writer of the work. It is Shonda Rhimes who went and made that happen. The writer yeah. of the work wrote it all white. And then even in interviews later, she says, well, I couldn't really put those sort of marginalized people there because no one would believe it. That's fair. Um, I, I say Netflix because they saw, oh, hey, this gets us money. And so for us to try to get more of that money, uh, I'm not trying to say Netflix made the creative decision. I'm saying Netflix saw that there was actual profit there and has been more aggressive in trying to pursue that. Um, I understand, but I just wanted to make right sure there. that yeah, on no, the show that we gave Shonda Rhimes all, no, her, all her credit and kudos because that was incredible for her to do. And even though she already had an incredibly popular show, still pushing that once she became successful and continues to be more successful by doing it hands down deserves a shout out at every opportunity. Chris, I will never be mad about talking how wonderful Shonda Rhimes is. I'll never be mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we do this podcast together, my friend. Um, but like similarly, um, just kind of in a, a timeline perspective, uh, um, uh, 
The Irregulars comes out after this, which is a Sherlock Holmes run, but um, they originally commissioned it to be a more traditional kind of Sherlock Holmesy thing. And then afterwards, uh, one of the leads is uh, Asian British and one of the leads is black. Uh, so um, they, they, Netflix has recognized that this kind of diverse casting is actually a potential avenue of profit for them. That's not happening here. Um, what we see here is something we've talked, we've kicked the CW for several times, which is you bring all your marginalized people in as minor roles often to die. And that's sure as shit what happens in the show. <sighs> Every single time. And I also want to point out that to the best of our knowledge, the only LGBTQI character in this entire series shows up around episode six or seven and does nothing. Mm -hmm. like zilch and then it's only implied because yeah he was my friend and there's a yeah. long pause on friend like that yeah. that is unbelievably bad like that is that is unfortunately 2000 like 2000 writing or 1990 writing and even then it should have been like 1921 movie writing when yep. it was black and white and we were transitioning to sound it's when all that shit should have been done and over with. <laughs> it just reinforces that when, when legends of tomorrow is showing you up on the diversity inclusion thing that's not a great sign <laughs> So that made it very hard for me to really engage with the show other than, you know what? I like superheroes mm -hmm. and this show continued to, to test my patience at every single opportunity to be, to the extent that even I'm, we're going to give a minor spoiler, but I'm assuming you've already watched it. Given the fact that they have, they have regeneration equivalently. It's not great regeneration because we see they keep scars even once they heal. But to have your only member of your six who was a black character be the only one that is carrying, who is equivalently paralyzed in a wheelchair with a massive scar goes back into the stereotype of uh, killed and broken of black bodies. And they're presenting that on screen at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I, I hate this show, but I enjoy parts of it. I want to get that up front now. So I will potentially not vent as much when we get into it, but who knows with me? Maybe I will. Maybe <laughs> I won't. How much coffee have I had this morning? I have a related point, but I think let's, I want to talk about, let's talk about episode one first, A, so we can get to it because we're taking a lot of time in this, but B, it makes more sense in the context of what actually happens in episode one. All right. Get comfortable. All right. Here we go. We open with three children playing heroes and villains. Eventually, the girl uses superpowers, and one of the children runs off as her father, the Utopian, flies down. He warns Chloe about using powers recklessly. Finally, he promises both Chloe and Brandon ice cream, but breaks his promise again to go save civilians. In the present day, adult Brandon watches the news about the supervillain Black Star being on trial in a hoodie in a coffee shop looking all dark and broody. <laughs> before and he notices a bank robbery and he rushes off to try to stop it before failing to stop the bank robbery iron orchard mocks him and he gets angry because she mocks him about his father and tells him how he should be trending on twitter the utopian arrives yet again to stop the villain and tells his son he should call her backup next time later sheldon tells grace lady liberty aka his wife who must suffer his uh, obnoxiousness. Their son is not getting it and probably never will regarding what it means to truly be a superhero. 
Grace tells him their son just needs more time. On the roof, Brandon overhears her conversation is upset. Super hearing. In 1929, Chicago, at the Samson family business, a young Shelton comes into work late where he sees his brother Walter and father arguing about an expansion. Shelton and their father talk about the American dream, how the expansion is being done with the employees and their families in mind, and Walter acquiesces. In the present day, a tense family dinner with Sheldon, Walter, Grace, Brandon, and Chloe ends with a drunken Chloe storming off and telling Brandon that their father was never there for them and they don't need to pick up his mantle. His ideals are 100 years old. Back in 1929, Sheldon and his friend George learn of the stock market crash. They run into the family business. Walter tells Sheldon that they've lost everything because of the expansion that he forced. Sheldon goes to the roof to find his father in distress and witness the senior Samson step off the building committing suicide. In present day, Sheldon and Walter also reminisce about the past and discuss how George turned on them, becoming a terrorist. Sheldon muses that they've, they've had 90 years of fighting wizards and robots, and they have nothing to show for it. He brings up how the world is more div- divisive than ever. He believes it's all sinking like quicksand to the ground after everything they sacrifice. Walter suggests they could perhaps bring an administrative shape policy and take a more active role. But Sheldon becomes frustrated about the suggestion of going against the code and inspiring people, not hurting them or killing them. Walter then states how much he regrets not ending World War II sooner, especially with all the atrocities. But Sheldon brings up how if they had gotten involved in everything, it would in turn end free will. Walter, for his past, argues that free will is bringing down the world. The argument is interrupted as the Union rushes to battle Black Star. During the fight, several next-generation superheroes, all marginalized people, are killed by Black Star, who then, as he's about to lose, decides to go nuclear before Paragon kills him. The Utopian tells Paragon, a.k.a. Brandon, his son, no matter what, they don't kill. Later, the supervillain's corpse is on the table when another black star walks in and he asks what the heroes, what the hell the heroes are looking at. The utopian turns and replies, it appears to be you. (sighs) I think that is the longest, longest synopsis I have done in the entire, what, two years we've done this show? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a lot. And the sad part is most of it doesn't matter. Um... (laughs) I mean, it, it's a lot happens, but nothing happens. It, it's all set up. I mean, it's it, we've talked about this a little bit with the Marvel shows, but Netflix have ever kind of very specific structure. They're really at this point just eight to ten episode long movies, and this is the setup. It's not even Act One. It's like the the, the opening credits, effectively, of your super <laughs> long movie. Um, so this is all let's establish the characters, let's build them all up. Um, but. I want to break tradition a little bit and, and jump right to this conversation between Sheldon and Walter. Wait, 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 wait. You want to break our tradition? We've never done that. We are like beat by beat show. We don't do anything out of order. We never interrupt or speak over each other. I am offended, sir. I say offended. Please proceed. I say good day. Good day, sir. <laughs> um. Uh. So Sheldon and Walter 
have a conversation about the modern day versus the way things back in the day. And this is, first of all, this conversation never existed in the comics, right? Uh, um, they had a version of this talk, but it's much shorter and it's much more black and white. Um, this is meant to be kind of more of a, of a nuanced conversation. And I say nuanced in quotes here. Um, uh, on the one hand, it is a literal deconstruction of comics uh, with Sheldon basically saying, here's why comic book trope exist uh, and, and to try to justify them arguably very weakly. And Walter going, well, that makes no sense. We should just take care of stuff. Um, on the other hand, it is so frustratingly, obviously a centrist aligned argument for I am a good person because I am not explicitly endorsing fascism and therefore that makes me a paragon of nobility and it's like Sheldon's not the show is trying to tell you that Sheldon's right and Walter is wrong but as a viewer I'm like no they're both wrong <laughs> and this show would be so much more interesting if the show actually recognized they're both wrong yeah, it's. Although I will say, it, it, I, I did screenshot and share it with the uh, uh, the Discord the, the the line of Sheldon going, "I don't care what they call themselves; they're Nazis." <laughs> I'm like, I'll give you one point for that. <laughs> um, I am not going to discuss this yet. I will leave that hanging, and we can come okay. back to that Fair and enough. go back to the top of the episode. Because otherwise we won't go back to it. And and for that one listener that cares, that cares in deeply about this show that wants to hear us talk about those three kids playing. No. We're going to be right there for you. <laughs> okay. I think those three kids are the best actors in this whole show. <laughs> wow. All right. I, I was lying just to see if people were still paying attention. Because I'm Walter and I was I was evil and I, I was doing my thing. Oh, um, I see what it is. You are brainwave. I do like how it opens with the kids and sort of it gives you that initial thing that like this is going to be about the next generation. It is it is obvious. It is over the top and it's, but it's like spot on. And I give that for a show that's trying to do a lot. If you have eight episodes, you're trying to build an entire world. You have to make some concessions. And how it gave us quickly a showing of who their father was and like how he's always going to put civilians over his own family or his own time, which is very much the same thing that Superman or the um, Sumerian would do. Eh, let eh. me figure out where that one's from. <laughs> and it brings back in the most important power for any Superman archetype character. Superhearing? Superhearing. <laughs> You can hear a comet coming from Mars. You can hear your kids playing and using superpowers. But yet you don't know your son has super hearing on the roof to hear you talk about yeah, it. Right. It's, it's like, you know, your son. But, oh, so bad. You're so bad at your job. Um, but I mean, this is a good point. Like on one level, you have to ask the question of how many evil versions of the Justice League do we need in our lives? Uh, because most any kind of deconstruction film on some level, again, Watchmen is a weird exception, but there's a reason for it, which we'll get into if we ever cover that. Um, but uh, 
the reason for it is that Superman is the most recognizable superhero in the world, in history. Uh, 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 the top three recognized fictional characters are Superman, Sherlock Holmes, and Tarzan. Uh, so if you're going to do... Yeah, I, 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 I it, would know. More so than Spider-Man. I would well, say Spider-Man over Tarzan. This information, I give you Holmes because I like Holmes. This information is from like about 10 years ago, so I don't know if there's been an update on that, but but just literary characters from around the world, those three are the most popular, most well-known characters. Because I know um, the most well-known superheroes are Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man. Right, right, yes. If you're going to superheroes, then you are correct. Um, I, I will pass the option of, of listing real-life people as fictional characters. Um, but... Um, if you want to give the impression of a fictional superhero continuity that has a lot of depth in history, a good way to shortcut that is to make analogs of the Justice League because then the people can fill in the gaps for themselves without you need to put necessarily on that screen. So that's what's really happening here is the, okay, we see that these characters fall into recognizable archetypes and it's done to say these characters and this comic continuity of which we literally are jumping over a hundred years of all exists. And so we see bits and snippets of it um, and says, okay, so I can kind of roughly fill in the gaps. This group existed and they all fill roughly equivalent roles, in justice league, and they do justice league stuff. So I don't need to necessarily be shown all of that. Compare this to star girl where we had a cool scene at the, at the beginning, but then we had to show each of the characters doing their signature power so that we could see how their inheritors would, also use those powers because these are characters we weren't as familiar with. We had to spend time actually establishing them before we could jump to the next generation with this because we're using well-established analogs. We don't need to necessarily show all that right away. 100%. And so I wanted to give the show some compliments for what it did well. And that is something that is, is a nice touch. It's just like right there, you're already on board, you know where we're at, and you can make your own assumptions about everything else, right. which in one level is great because it gets you quickly in, but then also it allows the show to then go and break those analogs quickly and not have to catch you up. Right. And we get a, a, a quick fly when then we go to modern day, which one of the things that I didn't like about this show, since I said something good, I can now say something negative. <laughs> um, is flashbacks. We've established that Chris hates fucking flashbacks because of Arrow. I hate you, Arrow, and your goddamn flashbacks. And now I hate all shows that rely heavily on flashbacks. No, no, we would say better think, about this. Just jump ahead, spoiler slightly. Not only does it have flashbacks, it literally has flashbacks to an island where there are traps. <laughs> yeah. I think, and much how I thought for Boba Fett too, by the way, um, it is a sign of a weak ass writer if you need to rely so heavily on flashbacks i think i'm i'm, I'm on my rant yeah, i think the show would have worked better if they had done either if you know that you showed your show and you had seven seasons to work with you spend your first season and you do the historical version of these characters like the whole thing and we end depending on how who you want to be you could either episode four they end on the island and get their powers and you get four episodes of them running around with powers or your whole first season. And it ends on the island with them getting powers. Mm. You could like start the first episode with that massive fight with brainwave, not with brainwave, but with um nuclear guy. I forgot his name now. Um, you start the fight with that. Yeah. And then you do like the whole season 
of them. If you want a flashback, give like a fucking flashback. The whole flash, the rest of the season, the flashback of them getting to the island. Second season is like another flashback to start the season with something from the from the third or fourth season of the modern day, and then you give their adventures in like the. 30s through the 60s or whatever it is and then the third season becomes a modern day and you can follow those characters going forward but you've built up a relationship now with all these other characters you've seen flashes of the other heroes that we're going to encounter and have and it has depth and meaning when shit happens to these people so under your model we've only ever seen the 20s run because it would have been canceled because we see what happens we can't cancel the season um, Under my model, they would have been successful and they would have continued got the rest of their seasons. Okay, fair. Um, uh, I will argue that I don't think flashbacks are inherently a problem. I think flashbacks need to be... Flashbacks only work if the flashback material tells us something we are not expecting. Uh, if we have a modern day, then and we start recognizing flashbacks, then our brains could fill in, okay, this, 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 this happens to get us to here. And if X, Y, and Z that we think is going to happen actually happens, then there's no point for the flashbacks and it's just padding. And and I, I think that that's a problem. Um, if Q, F, and A happen, which is nothing like I expect, it's also a problem. Like Arrow, it's like Ollie trapped on an island for five years, and so of course he's going to like do missions for the Japanese mafia because it's something you do when you're trapped on an island. It's like, why are we even here? That's also a problem. If the flashbacks start to undermine and twist our expectations of what's actually happening, I think they're good. Uh, but it's it's it requires a lot more work than just linear storytelling, and. Um, uh, a good example is, is Memento, right? It's it's a it's a it's a well worn example, but Memento is basically how you structure flashbacks. Each time you go backwards into this character's history, a new layer gets uncovered that you weren't expecting. Um, I'm not expecting everyone who's flashbacks to be Memento. That's a very specific style of movie and was a very well crafted movie, but it needs to be thinking on that level, right? It's like that flashback needs to be. I I'm expecting A and B, and I get F. It's not quite C but it is a different thing. And that makes me question and recontextualize the stuff that's happening in the modern day. That's how it should be structured. This is not what we're getting here. We're getting here basically absolutely everything we expect, uh, except for extremely minor character development that we've already seen in the modern day. So we don't really need it in the flashback. It, it, nothing surprising happens in the flashback. So it just, it's just a waste of time. I can see that. I, I, I agree. And, so that's there's a crux to try to deal and get over with those two and it it weakened the show on the whole right um it also (laughs) this whole show is going to be like me going wow weirdly the cw did it better um the whole relationship between uh lady liberty the utopian and their son it's like that was done better in superman and lois which was a show that we said one of the few things they did well was the dynamics of the family. <laughs> um, and so it's like the kids struggling with superpowers was done better in a CW show. That's, that's, that's frustrating, you know? Um, so inclusivity, CW is doing better family dynamics. The CW is doing better. Um, Special effects. The CW is doing better. 
Why does this show look so cheap for how much it costs? What did you think of the change in Brandon's power set? Because in the comic, he was uh, telekinetic. Well, also in the comic, he was an asshole. (laughs) And he's not in this comic. So there's basically a different character, as far as I'm concerned. He may have the same name. Um, But this goes into another point, is that they had... uh, so. We didn't talk about this, but um, Jupiter's legacy and Jupiter's circle, if you put both of them together and consider it to be one long series, it's maybe 30 issues of comic. Um, And this show doesn't even do half those issues. So there's a lot of padding and rewriting. Uh, And so uh, Brandon's story arc is completely different. Um, Isn't the show, though, almost only three of the comics? Like three issues of the comic? Yeah, it's like three or four issues, yeah. And then um, uh, Circle is all of the flashbacks, which is all the Jupiter Circle stuff, is like the first eight pages of the first issue. <laughs> That's how much padding is done. Um, so Brandon, I, I, I kind of see where I think they probably would have gone um, because, spoiler for the comic, uh, Brandon ends up becoming president of the United States, and it's not good. Um He's totally not a fascist dictator that we've certainly never had in the U.S. in the in recent past. Uh, so to see him be kind of whiny emo character. Who, Are you calling Brandon Luke Skywalker from Star Wars? No, 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 no. Does I'm he calling, really just want some power converters? No, no, no. I'm calling him Anakin Skywalker. Oh, God. <laughs> the whiny emo kid who becomes evil because that's what the plot demands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's I think frustrating about this is that with a slightly different twist on it, this could have been a really cool story, right? Like it could have been a really cool story of a modern superhero going, your antiquated code doesn't apply to the modern world. There is a third path beyond abandoning the code or embracing the code. And Brandon could have been the model for, let's find a synthesis of being good people, but using modern sensibility and inclusive uh, morality. Uh, did, that's not what happens. How does it work out for Scott with his break between uh, Charles and Eric? I don't even know the references. What are you talking about? Oh, oh, I went too deep. Sorry. How did that work out for Cyclops, who was in the middle between Xavier oh. and Magneto? How'd that oh, work see. out for Scott, huh? Huh? I, 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 I didn't. I, you could use their real names. I was like, who are you talking about? Oh, right, right. Um, because if well, you notice, okay. when I had to do the summary, I had to switch between their names and like their normal names because I was trying to go costume versus civilian clothes. Right, right, Costume versus right. civilian clothes. But in this show, what does it even matter? Because everyone knows who the fuck they are because they're getting deals and promotional bits and everything else. Why even have a superhero name at that point? And so this goes into... I don't want this to be a, a, a analysis of deconstruction as a subgenre, but it kind of is because this is trying to do all of deconstruction at once. And I, I feel like there are sub sub genres deconstruction. Um, you could do these cynical superheroes as celebrities take. And we kind of get that through Chloe. Uh, although again, they don't really do anything meaningfully with that. Um, you could do the superheroes Superhero morality is iconic and ageless take, uh, which is your kind of all-star Superman 
uh, uh, approach where they deconstruct it and then certain values still float to the top and persist. And that's something they're trying to do with the utopia. But again, they undercut the utopian pretty consistently, uh, primarily because his his defense of anything that violates the code is, but it's the code, uh, which is tautological defense is not great. Uh, there's the struggles of dealing with the burden of power deconstructionism, which we see through Lady Liberty of like, I'm just trying to get through day by day and, and exist as a mother and as a parent and as a woman. Uh, and she kind of gets buried by all the subplots. Um, and then there's the uh, superheroes will always become fascist dictators, deconstructionism, which Walter's going on. Uh, but again, Walter's reason for becoming a fascist dictator is uh, he got mad a hundred years ago and hasn't gotten over it. So we go back to a lot of these problems have been solved with these characters have gotten therapy. <laughs> and so like you can see bits and pieces of like, oh, I see the Watchmen. Oh, I see the boys. Oh, I see um, – you know, watch me. I see all these other deconstructionist takes, and they're all better at it. Um, like, I, there's also Invincible in here. Is that what I'm thinking of? Uh, you can see a bit of Invincible in here. Um, but all of them, because they have a stronger, here's the thing I'm trying to say path, it comes a stronger. But again, go back to that argument with Sheldon Walter. It's trying to do so many things at once that it ends up doing nothing meaningfully with it. Yeah. We could stay there, but I think we should, should move on. Yeah, we need to move on. Yeah. And. And then they do like another flashback to where we get to see the stock market crash. We get introduced to George, which I'm not going to lie. I think my favorite character in the show that I have to, if I, if I was going to pick from the main cast is going to be George. Okay. It's because I also really like Ted Knight and I see a lot of the Ted Knight character written in George's general attitude and what he does. Yeah. I can see that. I see, and I see a little wheel. bit in the comics that I know about what Sky Fox does. I'm also down for right right and it, i i liked it i'm not gonna lie they're the 20s version of this show i like better than the modern version powers or no powers because it felt like a call of cthulhu adventure i've run this fucking call of cthulhu adventure <laughs> i wrote it i read it for my friends for a year and they loved it and they all died and that's what happened right but it was great to see the, the stock market. His father jumping off the building was very reminiscent of what a lot of people did during the stock market crash sure. in the 20s. Mm -hmm. Like all of those are nice touchstones that show that there's a margin of historical work that went into it and care. Right. Um, but but again, to kind of uh, one of my frustrations with it is that they spend so long here. I mean, I mean yeah, it, it, it's a cool call for the show, but you don't watch a superhero show to watch that. You know? Hey, I wrote a Call of Cthulhu superhero game, my friend. You do, in some cases, do that. Well, okay, my, yeah, but my point is, like, at one point, there's a line in the the Sheldon Walter argument where he says, you spent 90 years fighting wizards and robots, nothing to show for it. It's like, show me the fighting in wizards and robots part. So wait, Why are, we missing are, you, the <laughs> are you saying you want to see the historical version of this show? I want to hmm. see, see the part where they're actually doing golden age nonsense part of the show yes <laughs> i did i again i'm not i'm not adverse to let's deal with the creeping horror of realizing that um a status quo is falling apart and using analog for the stock crash as a connection to the 
it's like it's cosmic horror of realizing that you're not alone in the world or the universe. I'm off. I'm here for all of that. I don't need 10 episodes of that. I don't need eight episodes of that. I need a couple episodes of that and then get to, okay, now we have superpowers because of strange alien gods. So let's punch robots in the face. All right. I've, I've antagonized you long enough. Let's, let's get to your conversation. That, that is right there. The fact that they specifically reference atrocities in World War II and how they didn't do enough for it then goes back to the earlier conversation that we had. Because one, one of the reasons I want to do the whole thing is because then you touched on how the show is a very has a very centralistic idea that it's trying to run with. Mm-hmm. And that is encapsulated right there in that speech and everything that we've discussed up to now. So I wanted to have all of that past history to then re-highlight that aspect of it that we were discussing. Mm-hmm. And... This show has not earned, and I do say the word earned specifically, the gravitas that they're trying to display in this conversation. This is a conversation that should not be in episode one. This should be probably in episode four or five somewhere. Once we've had a chance of seeing them do something instead of talking about doing something. Crisis on Earth X earned that conversation more than the show does. Yes. And... The fact that it is continuously had by white people, like straight, cis, white yep. men, primarily mm-hmm. to the show. And you can say that Grace is part of the conversation, but she's not. Right now, Grace is a very secondary character that agrees with what Sheldon says pretty much throughout the first four or five episodes. I watched mm-hmm. the series when it dropped. Irritated as I was, I like superhero shows. So I said, like, maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. And then in an episode eight, maybe it'll get better. <laughs> Maybe next season. <laughs> it was an abusive friend. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that's basically it. I mean, it's part of our show. Part of our show, genreless, is to have a conversation with media and to talk about how media has some things that you can pull apart and how it connects to us as people and the world and specifically us as middle-aged white men or middle-aged men. Um, uh, stuff like that and that conversation is supposed to be metaphorical not literal uh it, you don't literally have a conversation with two characters and they go through your entire conceit of the show because if you do that in episode one then the rest of the show needs to be about that conversation and that conversation needs to have an interesting payoff so to give an analogy because uh, all conversations on a long enough timeline in genreless will go back to Deep Space Nine, I'm convinced. <laughs> Season six of Deep Space Nine, an episode we didn't cover, uh, there's one episode where Cole Ducat and Cisco are trapped on a planet for reasons that are irrelevant. And they literally spend most of the episode arguing about Gold Ducat trying to explain why he's a good person. And Cisco basically going, nah, for 45 minutes. And it's much better than making it sound, to be fair. But... Um, the show earns that because we have six seasons of Gold Ducat being evil and then trying to justify that he's not. And so the, so it's the, okay, now we can have the conversation of him genuinely saying, no, I, I need to lay out all the evidence as to why I genuinely think I'm a good person. And to have Cisco go, okay, I've listened to you. I've internalized it. I've thought about it. No, you're still fucking evil. The show earns that because we spend all that time seeing those characters reach that point. 
this show is trying to do that by co-opting 100 years of comic book history and saying, so basically just fill that in and now we can have the conversation. No, you have not earned that, Mark Millar. You don't get to use 100 years of DC history or whatever and say, okay, I'm going to have a conversation about that because or, – or if you, you can, theoretically. I'm not saying you can't. You actually can do that, but then you have to do something with that. And that's the frustration is that what this conversation is implying is that the code is flawed and being a fascist is flawed, so it needs to be a third path, and the show never gives us that. It just keeps going, but the code is flawed, but fascism is flawed, but the code is flawed, but fascism is flawed. Okay, what is the third option? There needs to be one. And literally nobody has a third option. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I reread part of the comic. And in the comic, it is even more painful because they're having this conversation, a variant of this conversation. And they specifically call out the president at the time. And to see... Two white dudes from the 20s with all their views and something that is already handling race horribly to say that one of them needs to walk, march into the White House and basically tell Obama what to do. Our first black president is staggeringly bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, we're spending a lot of time on this. And, I, and I, honestly, because the next couple of episodes, I don't think we have much to say. Um, But I just want to end with the fact that why I'm so mad is that I'm with you. I wanted it to be better. It's like this could have been a fantastic show. This could have done something really interesting and compelling with that because I've not seen a deconstructionist take to say, let's actually take all the other deconstructionist takes and criticize those. It felt like this is where this was going. And so when I saw episode one, I was like, I'm really excited about this because I'm really curious to see what happens if – Let's be, let's be really reductive if Superman and the Punisher are both wrong. You know, that's really that's more or less the moral grace we're talking about here. It's like, okay, let's take these two extreme positions. Neither of them are right. Let's find out together what the new generation will bring to as a third option. Um, and then it's like, oh, but actually the third generation are all millennials who are obsessed with social media. Isn't that funny? <sighs> no, I will... You know what? I will, I will try to pull something positive from this. It could be saying that it is so cyclical and that parents impose so much of their negatives and positives on their children that they're doomed to repeat what their parents do. So that's why they can't find a third alternative. And that's why when you have the next generation, they follow the brainwave path, which is like still a wrong path. And that's when you have that sort of happen. And if I remember, and from my understanding, the comic then has a revolution that happens. I think that then follows what Sheldon was originally talking about doing. So it's this constant, right? I mean, weirdly, the comic actually is trying to to engage with this premise a bit more. It just doesn't work for different reasons. Uh, The show, and I I think the show had a a longer plan, and so probably would have eventually got to it. But this first season kind of goes nowhere, and it shows a flaw of this kind of structuring. It's like each season needs to kind of hold something. Um, I will say to move to a positive, uh, the fight with Blackstar is actually. Right, where's it going? I, I, I joked where the where the money go. The money went into this fight. <laughs> yeah, that's why even in my retelling of the show, it kept this fight. You started with it, so you get that pop of superheroism to see all of it. Mm. Because regardless of anything else, we watch, we talk about the CW and how the CW did a lot of good stuff, and how some other shows did good stuff. But most of their fights, you saw someone use their power. And then it would show someone else use their power. Yeah. This showed 
all multiple powers being used at once to do things yeah. on a, on a television screen, not in a movie theater, but on a TV screen, which was impressive. Mind you, they then used all that to kill marginalized second and tertiary characters, while our white characters kind of got hurt a little bit and beat up a lot. Right. But. Um, And even even like. Even this, though, again, it's the uh, now moving into I would have done this a little differently. So that to be fair, but um, I felt like if your conceit is. Both paths are wrong. This episode should have ended with. uh, Paragon killing Blackstar and and Utopian going, what have you done? Bam, because then it's the okay. The code has been violated. The very next episode would be now how to deal with that. Um, but instead, it's it ends on basically a joke because like Blackstar comes in, it's like, who's that? Oh, I thought it was you. Oh, freeze frame, everyone laugh, and it's like, why? What what is what is happening here? I mean, granted, it was still like, what the hell is going on? I'm curious no more. But now we get into the now the show not content with not being which superhero show is, is also trying to be David Lynch for some reason. <sighs> because it had no intention of ever answering or going into any of these questions in depth. Right. And so is this is Lynch to thing. show you that it doesn't, Lynch goes into it. He just leaves it up to you to decide. Um, <laughs> it's, it's why this show decided to show us right at the end saying, Hey, I put out all these things. I have no intention of answering any of them. And we're going to run in place for the next seven episodes. Which right. is also why I felt comfortable jumping to episode six and seven instead of trying to do anything in the middle. Any final comments before we move on to the second <laughs> episode of three that we're discussing in this show? No, because dear God, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> All right. We move on to episode six. Grace and children are enjoying themselves before he must leave to stop a comet heading towards Earth that's near Mars. Superior. Grace looks at old newspaper <laughs> clippings of Sky Fox. In 1929, Fritz, I say his name first because they don't give him anything to do in the show, Sheldon, Grace, Walter, and George convince a ship captain to take them to a place where half a dozen ships have been lost. During the during the voyage, Grace notices Sheldon keeps talking to himself and asks George about it, but George brushes her off. In present, Brandon tells Lady Liberty how, black, since Blackstar, everyone else in the field is tense and he can't stay on the farm anymore. Superman, farm. Meanwhile, the superhero Ghost Beam is trying to help Shatterheart, who has been severely hurt. Lady Liberty intervenes, but Vulcaner wants to get revenge, but is convinced to stand down and says, it's about not getting killed now, not the code. Back in 1929, Grace's investigation covers a map, Sheldon's drawing of his father's of his father that looked like he's been injured, and a watch that was buried with his father. An argument erupts. But it is an argument erupts where it is interrupted as they have to rescue a man from the sea who turns out to be a doctor and the final person from Sheldon's vision. Suddenly a storm overcomes him from nowhere. In the present, Ghost Beam is struggling to breathe from a wound and is discovered by Lady Liberty. With her dying breath, Ghost Beam! I just like saying Ghost Beam, really. Ghost Beam is great. It's kind of a joy to... Actually, Ghost Beam is my favorite character. Yes, I'm digressing into the episode now because I am. Uh, tells her Brian did this and that she didn't break the code. Angrily, Lady Liberty beats the crap out of him and tells the cops to call the corner because they've lost another superhero. 
At home, Grace explains to Sheldon what happened to Ghost Beam. <laughs> In 1929, the maddening voice of Sheldon's father almost pushes him to kill the others, but Grace persuades Sheldon to put down the gun. And when he does, the sky's clear, and to everyone's shock, they've the waters are calm, and they've come upon the island. You see Oliver Queen here going, I, this is mine. You can't have it. You're so nice. I was going to go with the polar bear. It's a, it's a lost joke, by the way, in case people listen to yes. this in 20 years from now um so yes uh where is the ghost beam spinoff show <laughs> they can't she was a, a marginalized character so they had to kill her so honestly i don't have much to say about this episode aside <laughs> from the fact that um uh, uh as much as i was talking shit earlier about how the 29 stuff takes too long i really like the 29 stuff episode stuff here it's just a completely different show right it's like Stop being a superhero show. Just be a weird Cthulhu mystery show, like you said. Like, make this a separate show, but stop. Don't don't make it a superhero show. I would have been love or love this show. I would have been really interested in this. Um, this is one of the cases where reading the media spoiled the the show for me because it's like I know this where this goes, and so I know this is wheel spinning. But if I didn't read the comic. I would have been really invested in this stuff. It's like, what's, what's all the mystery? Why is he getting his voices? What's at the island? What's all? And I think I, and I, I oh, it's just alien nonsense. Um, but this was really interesting stuff. And it just really counterpoint how dull and frustrating the present day stuff was because. So ghost beam dies. And she's like, I died because I upheld the code. Character. Well, first of all, let's, let's, well, uh, you glossed over this. I want to really dig into this. A marginalized person dies for a white man's moral code. That's really, really fucking not okay. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say that that was happening in the first episode. What do we where we pointed out how Battlestar killed all those marginalized people and just beat up white people. Yes, but see, this is worse because she's repeatedly pressured into preserving this moral code. <laughs> literally dies for this moral code. Her last words are about her trying to verify that she did indeed uphold this moral code that was foisted and forced upon her. So it's like, you know, you know, episode one to feel uncomfortable. Let's just really dig into that. Let's just really just grind that into the ground. <laughs> I'm like, why, why are you doing this to me? Why? <laughs> Especially because on top of it, what little we see of Ghost Beam, it's like she has interesting power. She has a cool code name. She has a great look. And I'm just like, give me more of that. Yeah. And we get, we, we killed a marginalized character for the white person's code so that then the, the white character is galvanized to take some kind of action. Mm hmm. It's, it's fridging. You know, except for not being a woman's marginalized character, but it's basically fridging. And that's what the show has done the whole time. Like there's nothing else for it. Yeah. Um, I like the stuff with the sea captain. I like how they gave him an extra bag of, I would assume gold. It's, it's yeah. hard to tell at this point in time. It clings like gold and it looks heavy. And it's the twenties. You could get gold easily. I, I just love the fact that sea captain is like, where do you want to go? Nah, I'm not doing that. Here's some money. No, seriously, I'm not doing that. That's that's ridiculous. Here's a lot of money. Okay, I will put up with your crazy white nonsense to take your money and probably shove you off the side of the ship. It's really implied that like, he's just going to murder these people and throw them out of the water. 
Um, and he just kind of never gets around to it. <laughs> but, you, but the character is presented really well. It's like, I'm just going to murder these crazy white people and just take their shit. <laughs> and then it's probably the correct answer. <laughs> but by spoiler for next episode that we'll get to in a second, because I don't think either of us have a lot for this one, no. uh, is that you find out that he is, in fact, a stand up captain that yeah. doesn't do any of that and constantly gives him chances where if I was a captain, I would already shot. I would already shot Sheldon and toss his body over the side. Right. Like a right. Lie. But but again, like the, 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 this is a show where like the minor characters are really because it's like, why is the sea captain getting a really interesting character arc <laughs> when the the ostensible leads of the show are just okay? The sea captain gets a character arc in in re, in the time of the show is like what three weeks, a month, maybe two months, something like that. Sheldon does not progresses a character in a hundred years well think about it like this though when we have the 20s arc here and we really get to see more of grace aka uh 1920s lois line and <laughs> what living with sheldon for a hundred years has done to her as a person right but yeah i mean it's, it's, the, the point is like the the the, the the characters the show is telling us we should care about get no character growth. Everyone around them gets really interesting. Oh, Brandon also is not getting character growth. Um, all of their characters get really interesting character growth. Um, and so the, 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 the show kind of puts the emphasis in the wrong place. Um, and knowing Mark Millar's tendencies, I can almost hear the argument of superheroes are meant to be iconic and meant to be characters. They're, they're, they're static. And we look to those static characters and we, the, we, that's what we use as our, our axis. Um, and there are certain iconic characters that do not get character growth that are valid. Sherlock Holmes doesn't really have a character arc. Uh, James Bond doesn't really have a character arc. And so I understand the logic of it, but in a show like this, where you're deconstructing, arcs and tropes to then really decide this is the one trope we're not going to actually touch and never acknowledge even if it's something along the lines of like we got these powers and then we were frozen in time and we could never progress as people that would have been interesting you know something to acknowledge this is actually a weird moment um but instead it's just like no i made this code in 1929 so obviously that applies to 2023 right <laughs> any final thoughts about this episode no uh, my, my last one is a shout out to my boy Fritz realizing that detergent could clear an engine on a ship. Woohoo. Um, all right. Okay. I, I, I say not one more thing. That conversation about the detergent was actually really great of watching two people of color, just fucking troll a white dude <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> all right. We're, we're, we're bringing it home. All right. Episode, the third episode in this, uh, in our show, third episode of the discussion of our show, but this is episode seven of the series proper. Brainwaves are just going into Black Star's clones' mind, regardless of the risk. I want everyone to stop and repeat that phrase to themselves three times fast. <laughs> no. And Lady Liberty agrees, but only if Raku, Brainwave's daughter and telepathic assassin, helps him, but the utopian doesn't want a killer's help. In Tokyo, on a hit, uh, Raku. Quickly dispatches goons before Brainwave mentally freezes her in place in the middle of an assassination with her target staring questioning at her. Recruits her for $1 million a day plus expenses before freeing her, and she kills her target. In 1929, the six venture onto the island as the captain gives him three days to return or he's getting the fuck out of here. In the present, 
Brandon and Chloe grieve over Jana, and he wonders if it's his fault. But Chloe states that somebody dies regardless of who does right or wrong things. Stop and think about that. Elsewhere, Grace and Sheldon argue about the code. Grace believes it's time to change and thinks Sheldon is trying to control everything. She states that the young kids feel unheard about something that no longer makes sense. The Flare 2 tells Paragon she's thinking of leaving the Union as she no longer believes in the code. He has doubts as well, especially more recently, but he remembers what his father told him, that the code was not meant to make our lives easier. You have to care about people, about the world. In 1929, while on the island, the six overcome obstacles, personal trials and tribulations, and tests designed to make them snap and kill each other. And when they try to leave, the island won't let them. In the present, Brainwave confronts the real Black Star in his jail cell and wants to know if the villain is working with Sky Fox, but Black Star denies any contact. Uh, and the hero, quotation mark, leaves frustrated. In 1929, the group finally reaches the Enclave. <laughs> and after all past, past grievances are put behind them, past the final test, and the wall lights up and begins to open, showing a beam of light as it does. They then walk through the gap that has opened up. Out of nowhere, Walter and Sheldon's father appear, but he doesn't look menacing this time. And it's not part of Sheldon's imagination because Walter can see him too. Their father tells him that they've completed the ordeal while suffering unthinkable losses and prevailing for privileged white people that had everything. Other people appear as well and echo Chester sentiments and call the group worthy suddenly there's a high energy beam and the captain who is on the ship looks concerned with his crewmates then however they see the superheroes in the sky as they look in the distance in the present brainwave and raku work together to enter the clone's mind he struggles and yells as he falls to the ground raku states that she needs to keep brainwave's mind open or brainwave won't be able to get out someone has to go in to help him so um the one thing this episode does that i like so i'm gonna start with something positive is i feel like the psychic who actually creates an altered reality in someone's brain as a way to communicate with them and or get information from them is done really well here um there's some interesting stuff done with that trope and it makes things a little more visually interesting than just, you know, uh, narrating over top of someone who looks intensely curious about something. Like, it's a, it's a really cool way of showing telepathy. Uh, it's a really cool way of, of showing how mind powers can actually be really, really scary. Um, so I really dig all that. Uh, and then we get into the part that really frustrates me about this episode is because this episode Louis says, Characters are going, okay, the code's flawed. We need to change it. And I'm like, yes, yes, you're almost there. You're almost there. And then the show goes, but if we just do the code harder, it'll be fine. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, maybe the flashback will counterpoint this. And we see people sniping. It's like, yes, they had to they had to develop the code to overcome their own insecurities. And so we could see that the code was really just kind of a patch to their psyches. It's like, no, it's just so they can touch a wall so it lights up. 
And literally, literally all their character conflicts are solved by them staring at each other, nodding, and touching a wall. That's your character development. That's it. <laughs> you spent seven episodes to get to that. Ugh. Yeah. I'm angry, Chris. I'm not angry. Uh, I'm conflicted. <laughs> I noticed that you're less impressed. How's that? Um, as we talk about it, I, I realize I like to show less than I thought I did. Um, <laughs> um, but to your point, I think something I will give the show is they have suddenly showed throughout the entire course of this show constantly that telepaths without a moral code of any kind are scary as fuck. Yes. Because even in the first episode where we have Brandon on the roof feeling bad about himself, he doesn't tell Walter what's going on. Walter just reads it from his mind. Mm-hmm. And throughout the show, we've had Walter just jump in people's minds and stop them without permission, without consent of any kind. Right. And it's played off as minor things all throughout. And even when they fight um, Battlestar, Black or Star. whatever his name is. In the totally big not fight, dark side. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the big fight, he pulls him into like a vacation that he had a while back. So mm-hmm. he can't he can't do anything while they're beating the ever living shit out of his body. Like those are constantly good uses and scary to show how great that power is. That a power that is frequently just thrown aside. Yeah, you can read someone's mind, so what who cares? I can shoot laser beams. And I like I like that. That yeah, is yeah. They they do a really good job of establishing Walter is actually the villain. Um and a lot of a lot of these shows ultimately in some form of love Superman is evil. And I think it's boring because Superman's power set, yes, it makes him scary, but it doesn't make him evil. It just makes him kind of a monster if he's out of control. This one shows that the correct power set to be afraid of is absolutely mind control. Um, because if the show had stuck to that, or maybe what happened in season two, I don't know. Um, it's the how do we know that Walter hasn't been controlling the utopian the entire time? How do we know this code is not something that Walter has been implanting on them just to keep him docile? That would have been an interesting thing to examine. We know, though, because the show has told us explicitly a couple different times that his mental powers don't work in the Utopian for some reason. Right, and that's that. Metaplot. Metaplot. Right. But from the comic, because I'm bringing part of the comics in because they probably brought that in future seasons, we know that Brainwave has been using his powers on other team members and other parts and other people with the team. Mm -hmm. For instance... Uh, Sky Fox's girl from the time brainwave uses his mental powers to have her break up with Sky Fox and go out with him. Right. Like, and then pushes him over the edge. So it's, we know he's doing all of that already throughout their past history. And, and again, this is the case where reading the comic in a way is actually makes it harder to appreciate the show because they spent several issues with, uh, brainwave going, no, no, no. I never used my main powers. I never did. I never did. And so everyone turns against Sky Fox. And again, they spend like pages and pages and pages. But even the reader going, maybe Sky Fox just lost it. And then Sky Fox finds it. You know what? I was an asshole. I shouldn't have assumed you. I'm really sorry. I- I'm in a better place now. And then Brainwave goes, oh no, I totally did it. And that moment is a gut punch because it's the, 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 the series is trying to what the comics trying to do, and this show didn't succeed at, was to make Walter feel like he's a hero. He's using his powers in good ways, and then you get that twist at the end. It's like, no, all along it was a plan. And this show is trying to do that, and it's just not working because it's it's so obvious he's the he's the fascist. You know, it's so obvious where he's going with this because the very first episode he literally tells you, "I would have taken control of the world in World War II. <laughs> 
And but then it unfortunately that leads to the point that if he's been using his middle powers, he can use them on anyone. What has stopped him from using all of his middle powers to use all the other the six the other six to get rid of the utopian? Well, well before now, like there's I mean, there's no the reason is, not Chris. to have done that. You know what the, you know what the answer is, Chris? Plutonium. The code. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck about the code. And again, because like, we've already established that there is not brotherly love there, so there isn't that that would stop him. He he's hated him forever. We assume the wall gave them a year of good good feelings together. Well, and, and this is the other reason why I'm really frustrated by this show is because okay, the wall thing is dumb for a couple of reasons. The one is again, like I said, there's Pink Floyd did it better. Pl- yes, um, but also. The whole point of the wall is that it was a test by alien gods to show that men can overcome their insecurities. So the whole point of the wall is that it can tell your true intent. So Walter in X-29 actually did forgive his brother, otherwise the wall would not have opened. So why has he backslid to this point? The point of the again, flashback should be giving us counterpoints. This had been structured differently. The twist of Walter being the secret villain all along, then in Night 209, we've seen him doing something nefarious that caused him to actually get their powers, right? That should have been the, the, the connection, is that he's always been this way and he's been hiding it for 100 years. That's not what we see. We see the show going, he's hated his brother for 100 years, and then the show, like 10 minutes later, going, actually, no, he forgave him 100 years ago. Ha <laughs> It's like, but, so, so, but... You're, you're undercutting your own arguments here. So they should have failed the test, Chris. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> or the aliens are stupid. That's the other option. The aliens are just dumb. They're just like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Well, if I can imagine the writers saying, "Well, they're aliens. They don't know that humans can forgive for a couple minutes and then feel bad about it seconds later and turn back to their old ways." It's a I wall, mean, maybe, man. maybe. But I don't fucking know. for alien gods, they're kind of rubbish at their job. And if people haven't watched, I'm assuming you did not watch any more of the show. Other than no, I was done or, by this. I was done. Um, long story short, I'm going to give a little spoiler for next episode. This has all been, if you hadn't already put it together, Brainley's plan. Eh, shocked. Right. Shocked. I say shocked. Right. Uh, he made a clone of Black Star for some fucking reason. But <laughs> the point I want to get to is that they've made him such an evil character that he's forced to kill his own kid because she sure. realized what his plan was and so right. killed her. And the entire why I don't like evil people just for the sake of eviling because eviling is what evil people do. Right. They gave him zero moral complexity. And there's no moral complexity for Shilden. And the fact that mm, ah, I'm just done. So, uh, we started by saying this is going to be a conflicted, and, and to be fair, we haven't sounded like we're very conflicted at all. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is yet another case of a show where I see the potential. Um, combination of, I would have written it differently, obviously. A combination of, I think editing would have changed the flow of this. Um, I think to your point, I, I don't agree with doing an entire season in each time period, but I could have seen entire episodes. 
Like if there had been an entire episode in modern day, then an entire episode in 29 and back and forth in that way, I think some of the stuff could have been reorganized in a way that make it flow better. And also I think it would have helped to put some distance between the brainwave planning to make it look a little more of a surprise. Part of the way this thing is happening is that we're seeing brainwave constantly being a jerk. So we never lose perspective of him being a jerk. And so I was like, of course he's the, he's the villain. Um, but there's an entire episode, you have time to kind of forget that that's happening and then you come back to it and it's like, oh, that's right. He's a jerk. I forgot. Um, so I think that would have helped the pacing better. Um, but there's still some underlying problems here that in a show, if this had been a 1990 show and uh, a CW show, we've been like, okay, that sucks, but it is what it is. As a Netflix show in 2017, it's like there's just not a lot of reasons for some of these flaws. So I can see why people watch the show and are like, yeah, I'm done. I don't need yet another take, especially when – there are other deconstruction shows like Invincible, like The Boys, which are doing their own thesis is better. Uh, so it's like it, it's a it's a crowded market and it's not excelling at anything. But I can see between the cracks of a show that genuinely would have been really interesting. It would have been really interesting to have a take of listen. Uh, uh, superhero tropes as read are a problem. Um, superheroes that are deconstructed and have no moral code are a problem. What could we see that's that's the solution? How can these characters exist in this world? Um, that could have been a really strong take, but it needed to at least start to answer that by the end of the season in order to make another season happen. A character needs to stand up and say, I can tell you what's going on. We need to stop being beholden to this fight between two brothers from 100 years ago and move forward as a group, as a society. Um, but there's just, uh, there, there, it needed to start from scratch to start over. There, there's uh, The premise needs to be re-examined. There's a lot that needed to be redone. Um, and it's a shame because none of the stuff we said is, we never at one point said the actors are a problem. I mean, the actors are okay at what they're doing. The, with the material they have, they're doing their best. Um, the special effects are sparing, but when they're used, they're they're really impressive. They are movie-level special effects, so it's like, this could have been a really fantastic thing, but if nothing else, the fact that it's changed creative hands at least once, um, and it's clear Netflix didn't quite get what the comic was trying to do. I would argue Mark Millar maybe didn't quite understand what the comic was trying to do either. <laughs> um, you end up with this kind of just mess. And I agree with all of that, but it the larger problem, I could have potentially have give if there had been a second season, I could have potentially watched that second season if they had totally shifted the focus from two to three white characters. I can't move past that. Yeah, that sure, is the I entire agree. crux of the show. The show does nothing else but constantly focus on them. Like, I want to know what's it like over in Europe or some other country right now? Do they have superheroes? I don't know. Show didn't tell me. Um are superheroes doing other things or other countries in conflict? Is there anything other than this argument? Like the code is great, but the code should not be what your entire season is about. It should be a tertiary plot and you should have another overarching plot that constantly, so it keeps coming up and at points of con at major points, it becomes more of an issue. Right. And then you can move into all this other stuff, but you didn't, I'm going to go back to what we said before. And it's really my final thought on the whole thing. It didn't earn anything. No. 
it came in with privilege, with its hand out, saying that you owe me this, not that I need to show you what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. It. It. If you have a whole season, you could spend the time to build up, and it. it it's weird. It, it jumps right into the middle of the superhero conversation and then just sits there for several episodes. Right, like if they had gotten, like we said this before, if that ep- if that conversation episode one had been episode seven conversation, episode six conversation, and they had spent up let's see, the conflict between people who follow the code and people who reject the code are reaching ahead, and now we need to talk about this, that could have been really cool, and having characters step up and say, this isn't some abstract thing that came from on high, you too imposed this on us, and you're coming from a certain cultural perspective that we don't share. Yeah, I mean, again, there could have been a lot of interesting conversation there. It, it, it's, it's, it's what happens with fanboys write comics, right? It, it's the, of course you're invested in this because I'm invested in this as a comic book fan. So obviously you need to be invested in it. And it's like, no, I, we all read comics for different reasons. You can't just jump to that conversation. Um, uh, Watchmen, I mean, Watchmen does this well because Watchmen started as a comic book and it's like, we're going to take care, twist the characters you, you're familiar with and we're going to spend some time actually establishing that they are not who you think they are and then flash back to what you thought they were and then those juxtapositions, I'm talking about the comic, the movie I had different issues with, but the comic does use flashbacks well to say counterpoint constantly how they got to this version now. Um it also helps that the conversation is not explicit, but rather it's it's around a murder mystery. Um, so there's something interesting for the audience to follow while this moral conversation is happening. This assumes that eight episodes of agonizing about morality is interesting to watch. And it's like, no, because the good place exists and it does it way better. <laughs> I I would say that it, it would have been okay to actually antagonize about morality for eight episodes if that's what you wanted to do. But you would need to have the conversation progress throughout those eight episodes and not be the same one each time, just with maybe a different person saying the same thing. That's right. not a conversation. At that point, it's just a lecture. And if I wanted to lecture, I would probably go somewhere else. <laughs> Any so, final thoughts on um, the greatness that is Jupiter's <laughs> I, I, I I don't want to – not so much about the show, but um, – we have been falling into a, a bit of a pattern I have noticed where it's like, let's talk about superhero shows. This will be fun. And then we bitch about the show the entire time. Um, and one thing I've noticed is that when we're in the middle of the show, we're frustrated by it. And then as we go on, we're finding ourselves pointing back to shows that are frustrated by going, but that show did that pretty well. So it's, it's, it's it may seem like we're going in a, a downward spiral. <laughs> um, but I do want to point out that we are really roughly uh, reviewing these chronologically. And we said this before, I think it's worth reiterating that, um, because it's been a while, we're generally a bit easier on older media because while it doesn't excuse the messages giving, it was written in a pure time period where they weren't as aware of and necessarily recognizing the messages they were getting across. So, yes, The Flash 
Okay, I take, I, take, I take it back. Obviously, Flash 1990 didn't do as well, but then Flash also had Nightshade, which was amazing. So I actually can't even use that as an example. Yeah, Flash did um, really well. So the Flash 1990 actually does it better than the show. But that's the problem, right? Like, you shouldn't have to point back to 25 old show and go, wow, that actually did it better. Smallville didn't have good diversity, but it was written in the early 2000s. Um, so we're going to be more critical as we look at newer shows because newer shows should know better. Um, and I'm, I'm not at all uh, mad about being that aggressive on it. Um, but that said, also, if we absolutely hate a show, we're just not going to review it. So if we're talking about it, there's still something we want to love about it. All, all of this, at least for me, comes from a place of, I want it to be better. I want these things to succeed and do better. And I want to, and I want to pull the good out of it. But sometimes to do that, you have to kind of yell at it for a bit. <laughs> that is, in my opinion, almost perfect, except... <laughs> We, in fact, did do a show that we both hated, Ginlock. I will not let that pass. And that is one of the reasons why we changed some of the things that we do. And we're more honest about, I think, our opinions for the negatives and the positives on a show. One of the reasons that we stopped doing Strange New Worlds is that we didn't want to spend 30 minutes living on a show. Right. That is the honest to God reason why we stopped doing Strange New Worlds. Right. Compared to some of these. It's great, but it's also boring. (laughs) To some of these other shows, we are giving them their props and kudos. Like even in this episode, where we have a lot of problems with it. I think we've both made specific points to point out like this is very well done. Like this is something it did very well. Yeah. This is something that it could have done better. So it's, I think it's less hating on the show. It is more us giving our own opinion of what constructive criticism would be and how this could be better. And if this is something that was made in 2017, 2019, there it is past expectation. It should have done better. And if it's not doing better, it's something that we, I think as I'm going to, I could be wrong, but uh, as liberals should try to point out the saying that, Hey, like there's this, this, and this, this could have easily been potentially fixed if they'd consider taking this option alternative, because I think people that are listening to us are listening because they like the shows, but they're also listening because they want our opinion, but they're also potentially creatives that want to make their own thing. Right. And us giving them potential ideas may help make them make a better show, which then gives other people better, more inclusive media that makes everybody happy. And that's a better thing overall. 100%. And, and I think you nailed it on the head is that uh, we're, we're trying to aim for criticism, not necessarily hate. Because um, there's so many review shows where it's like, let's talk about why Star Wars sucks. It's like, that that's just as boring as loving on something constantly. Um, we're trying to be more critical. And so critical, as a result, we're going to be like, uh, I mean, you know, let's go back to Twin Peaks, right? You love Twin Peaks. I think you still do, but we were pretty oh, critical of, of, of large chunks of it. Um, you know, we, I dislike I, Fire Walk With Me, but I still watched it. And I would still watch it again because there is so much good about it that outweighs the parts that I don't like. But I know other people I've talked to about it love those parts that I don't like and dislike the parts I like. Right. Yep. So and I just want to take show a that's... To say... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to go on about Twin Peaks. Yeah, never mind. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, I would, I would, I just want to say, I just want, I just wanted to bring it up because, um, uh, uh, especially after Batwoman, it's something I've been a little more aware of as we talk about these things, and I want to just kind of take a moment to kind of step back and say, no, we, we are still on course. This is what we're doing. I'm still, as much as we kind of dug into this, I actually enjoyed watching Jupiter's Legacy more than I thought I would because I'd heard so many bad things about it, um, and I. 
enjoyed reading the comic because like, it was one of the things where like I happened to realize I owned the comic and never read it. So I was like, oh, I have time to read it. So I read it too. Um, it's like, I, I don't think I would have read or watched those without this show. And I'm glad I both read and watched those now as a result of doing this show. So it's like, cool. I, I learned something new, experienced something I probably would not normally have picked, carved out time to do. I don't think I'll pursue it, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> and for me, I think everyone knows that I listen to our shows because I made a comment before about noticing my love of the word like and <laughs> and the for some reason. Very, very weird. But I also listened to them because I want to know what our opinions were and see if I still agree with them weeks later when they're released. Mm-hmm. And if we're overly negative, I want to be able to say that, hey, hey, Eddie, maybe we should consider not doing X or Y. Mm-hmm. And I would agree that we went hard on Batwoman, but Batwoman failed on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I think I've even mentioned even this podcast for Jupiter's Legacy. I watched this entire show and I gave mm-hmm. it a chance. I kept saying, maybe next issue, maybe. And I even made a comment that maybe if they get a season two, I'd try it and see if it got better. Right. That is positive. That's telling a positive thing for the show that I am willing to go through that, even with all these problems yep. and say that I'm giving it a chance and there's something good here, but I need the creative team to bring that to the fore and not leave it in the back. Any any final closing comments on not our longest show? I'm, one of these days, I want to make sure that we hit our longest time ever and break like a three-hour mark. I do not. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But it's going to be a Doctor Who episode. I just know that that's why it's going to be a three-hour mark. <laughs> Probably talk about like... Sylvester McCoy. Okay, it's a whole day episode for some reason somehow. Um, no, I'm done with this show. But let's talk about what we're going to do next week. Uh, continuing our Netflix run. Not a lot of Netflix superhero shows um uh, we're gonna talk about the umbrella academy another uh creator owned comic um this is super weird and you can't easily skip over episodes and understand anything that's going on so we're just gonna watch the first three episodes uh, episode <laughs> one we only see each other at weddings and funerals episode two run boy run and episode three extra ordinary um so uh that's what we're gonna do next week and is both in the us and uk it's on netflix did you say the title of the show? Umbrella Academy. Okay. I thought it you, I just thought you said like another creator owned show. Funny I joke. And then titles. If I'm I mean, wrong, I, we've yeah, now I, said the title four times, right? What was the title again? It's it, it's it's X-Men. It's so rushing. <laughs> oh so I can make my <laughs> Damn it. So much joke. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I've never seen the Umbrella Academy, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious about your opinion because um, I, I recognize it has flaws. But um, so actually, well, no, we'll talk about it. We'll come next week. Um, there, there's an interesting wrinkle that we have to talk about that comes in season three, but it affects how we talk about season one. But there's a lot of time travel shenanigans with this show. But that way. <laughs> Before we stop, is there an Umbrella Academy comic if people want to go read it? Yes, um, uh, it is uh, Image Comics uh, publishes it. Um, and unlike this uh, one, it actually does relatively faithfully follow the show. Um, so if you, at least season one. So um, if you do want to watch the show, maybe don't read the comic because it's going to pretty much spoil the big reveal at the end of this sh- season. Um, was it written so, by a rock band, I think? Yes, it was written by, uh, I'm blanking on the name, uh, but it is the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, but I forget his name. Okay. Well, I, Eddie will know by next episode. I will still right. not know. So. I'll look into it. Um, uh, but yes, uh, first three episodes of the Umbrella Academy. In case you missed that, it is the Umbrella Academy. So it's not the X-Men. 
Chris, where can I find you online if you want to know what show we're going to watch next week? <laughs> you can find me in the Darker Hue Discord, where I'll be taunting Eddie for the rest of the day about this joke. Uh, you can find me still on Twitter at Dark underscore Hue, or you can come to my webpage and buy some of my stuff so that I will have money to afford coffee to keep doing these podcasts and be, I would like to say, amusing. What is your webpage, Chris? DarkerHueStudios.com. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Prompto. Thank you. I'm all about advertising, you can tell. Uh, and if you want to find me telling Chris what he's supposed to be saying online, uh, you can find me at uh, Pugsteady, my website, which is P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y.com. Uh, I am also on Twitter as that, but more likely you're going to find me on Dice.Camp at Pugsteady. Uh, and otherwise, yes, you'll find us both hanging out on the Darker Hue Discord. Uh, if you like this kind of nonsense, please give Chris money at the Darker Hue Patreon. Why are you putting your finger at me? If I'm not mistaken, doesn't <laughs> Onyx Path have a game about superhero rock stars? I think I can't okay. remember for certain. If we're if, if we're in the if we're in the plugging part of the show, I, I think there is a game they have. If you are interested in near future takes on superheroes that take deconstructless tropes and say these are dumb, we're ignoring that, uh, you can check out Trinicatinium Aberrants, uh, which is a game that I co-developed with the amazing Steve Henson, who has written basically every superhero game you love. Uh, so um, Superhero Aberrant is set in the distant future of 2025, I think. Um, uh, but it is kind of a what happens if superheroes came and how that would change the world. And it starts off really great. Spoiler alert, it becomes bad near the end, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, also, it also has one of my favorite supplements, which is uh, NWE, uh, International Wrestling Entertainment, uh, which is the wrestling supplement for a superhero game that I wrote with my friend Matthew Dawkins. So buy our stuff if you like, if you love us. Because that's how you show affection in a capitalist society. And with that, we'll see you all next week with the Umbrella Academy. Be seeing you.